We talk often here about uh, building authentic community. It's one of our deepest values, even as we've grown over the last couple of years. Um, uh, one of the things we want to see is, is that there's a real community being built here where we get to be with each other, care for each other, walk in life with each other, be there for each other on the highs and the lows, and see what God will do uh, as we care. And so one of the ways we do this is we create groups all the time. And um, uh, this past semester got to be a part of the, the men's group uh, where we just studied the word of God. It was incredibly uh, powerful, uh, awesome time. I'm so grateful for that group and each time. But in order to get to know each other better, we would start uh, each of those uh, evenings before we got into the word, just asking a, a deep probing questions so we could get to know each other really well. That was our aim. And so, you know, I mean, men like to do that. So uh, one of the questions that we asked was, uh, who are the three people you would want with you during a zombie apocalypse? Though these are the deep kinds of things we were like leaning into and just trying to get down to the heart of a man. It was awesome. I loved it. It was so much fun getting to do those questions with each other. And the answer, of course, is Darren Jones. That's one of the people you want with you. He's uh, what they say in the Old West, well-heeled. And if you don't know what that means, just Google it. So anyway, um, but uh, one of the other questions that came actually during that, uh, one of those evenings was, uh, if you could be instantaneously an expert at something, what would it be? If you could be instantaneously an expert at something, what would it be? Anybody have, just right off the bat, you know what it is? What is that? A farmer. That's amazing. Yeah. Because during the zombie apocalypse, you got to be able to grow your own food, basically, right? Um, I, well, they asked that question. My mind immediately went to a place, and it came from, candidly, a deep place of shame in my life. And I, my answer to that question was, I want to know how to fix cars. <laughs> because I'm just going to be honest with you. I have no idea how they work <laughs> at all. It's just, I'm so unmanly in this area, I think, because culturally, I should know some things. Some, you know, I've had people say, I like the, the solenoid is bad, and I'm just like, man, I feel so, I feel so bad for that solenoid. <laughs> and I, I'm going to pray that the solenoid... I don't, know, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that thing does. I think it helps the car go. And that's really all I know about it. And I feel shame over that. And what it really comes down to is this. I need help. I need help. I don't know how to, I don't know how to fix cars. And there's probably a ton of things that I don't know how to do. But when it comes to cars, I need help. And the problem with men is we don't like to ask for help. Um, and, uh, and then and when we talk to people that do know what they're talking about. We act like we know what they're saying, but we don't. Uh, but what's actually common to every human, every human is we need help. Every one of us. It is unquestionable. From the moment you came into this life, you needed help, tremendous amounts of help. And you might have grown up and you might know exactly how all the cars and the things work. And that's great. But guess what? What hasn't changed is that you and I are humans and we need help. We all do in some way. And that's good news. And I'm going to tell you why. It's good news, number one, because God designed you and I that way to need our creator. 
And that's a beautiful thing. That was true before the fall. We were in need of our creator. And that's awesome. But the other thing is awesome is that he knows exactly how to answer the cry for help. He knows. He knows exactly what you and I do need. He's not afraid of what you and I actually do need, and he's ready to come in and meet it. And that's where we're going to find ourselves here in a moment. In Isaiah 41, we're going to look at these promises. We've been looking at these promises. We're going to look at a promise in Isaiah 41 here in just a moment. But before we even dive into that, into the fullness, the majesty, the beauty of God's word, I want to just talk about the point of sinking our teeth into these promises. And the reason we're even doing this series from the word of God is that we study the promises because, listen, we're going to live by the grace of God, full, amazing, fantastic, glorious, fun, hard, difficult, and even tragic lives. We're going to live these lives, and every new season you and I step into in this life, we are going to find ourselves in some way, shape, or form in need of God's promises. We will find ourselves having to reach back out to him and say, God, well, what do you say? Because it doesn't look so good going forward. We're going to find ourselves. It's, the, it's what we were just talking about. It's our way of saying, God, I need your help. I need you. And that's exactly what the nation of Judah is doing, the southern kingdom of Israel is doing at this very moment, it's about roughly 2,700 years ago from this moment or 700 years before the oncoming of the Messiah Jesus to the nation of Israel. There is a prophet named Isaiah. and He's leaning in and what the nation of Israel is looking at is they have turned their heart away from the Lord. They've gone their own way. And they find themselves in tremendous need as the nation or the kingdom of Assyria is bearing down on them. And they're about to have their homes taken from them and their livelihoods removed from them. And they are fearful of what is about to take place as this horde comes in upon them. The prophet Isaiah has been calling the people to turn their hearts back to God turning back and trusting him, but they've chosen to trust their own might. They've just chosen to live lives their own way in their own strength, pursuing their own interests, creating their own little gods, and they had found themselves in that place, very, very difficult moment. And the people of God are scared. And they don't know what to do next. And they're afraid for their safety and their homes and their freedom, and it's on the heels of that that God grabs them. And in Isaiah 40 and 41, he just wants to speak over them. And listen, I wish we could get into all the fullness of all that. In fact, if you're looking for homework from church, go at it. It'd be beautiful to read, but we're just going to read one little verse because it's in the midst of that he wants to speak life over them, and he's going to make an ironclad promise to them. And here's what he says in Isaiah 41, verse 10. He's going to say, fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, I don't know how many of the promises of God you lean on, but this is a brand new one if you haven't had it before today. To take this and put it in your soul. Such a rich promise when the walls are crashing down. You don't know the way forward. You can't see the ray of sunlight at the end and you're in the midst of darkness. What do we know about God? And what he wants to say is, fear not because I'm with you. I'm here and I have promises for you. And before we even get into the guts to it, I just want to take a moment to even ask us this question. That promise is amazing. But do you know this for sure? How can we know that this isn't, this is a sweet promise to a group of people 2,700 years ago. How do we know this promise is for us right now? We get to just take a step back and we go, well, that promise was to Israel in the Old Testament, to Judah in the Old Testament. But we get to come to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And it's also for us. And 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, that the blood of Jesus Christ and my place with him in a new covenant means that all the promises of God are yes and amen. For the promises of God find their yes in him. Meaning because of what Jesus has done, The promises of God are now for you when you get brought into the family. It's not just a word spoken dang near 3,000 years ago. It is the King of kings and Lord of lords looking at you and saying, in Christ, you get it too. This is your word too. You can have this and pick this up and hold this because Christ has brought you into the family. Just like Todd McDowell was saying last week, we got grafted into the family. This is our promise too. So we take it, and we lean into it. And what does he say? Fear not. Fear not. I want to talk about fear for a moment. What is fear? In real simple terms, fear is the awakening to the reality that you and I need help. That's really what it is. When we get down to, if you just want to, Boil it down. It's the internal feeling or the, that experience we have that, as Dr. Chibdaw would say, it allows us to experience risk and trust and dependency and ultimately wisdom because it helps us realize our need for help. In other words, hear this, fear is not the enemy. I just want to say this, now stick with me. Fear is not the enemy. You know why? Two summers ago, uh, we have a trampoline in our backyard. And uh, right next to our trampoline is a little, what's it called? Storehouse? Shed. It's a storehouse. I don't, I don't. Am I from 1912? I don't know. It's a shed. My daughter's over there playing on trampoline like she does. And they're messing around. She and her little brother, Jonathan, they're having a blast. And out of nowhere comes a wasp and stings her. Unbeknownst to us, the wasp had set up shop in that little shed. She came running. We had to fix, make sure she was okay. 
And then she is never going back to the trampoline. <laughs> never. She's got a healthy fear that says, there's something broken, wrong over there. I don't want to go back into that unless I get some help. I got a healthy fear telling me, don't go back up and stir up a hornet's nest. I need help. Mom, dad, can you take care of the wasp nest? And even after the wasp nest gets taken care of, it's like, are we sure that this, I remember a couple of times, are you sure about that? Well, I'm pretty sure. The wasps are, they do their own thing, but they're, the ones that were there, they're not there anymore, right? Healthy fear says, hey, there's an issue here. I need help. I'm, I, I'm in trouble, and I can't do that again so that I don't put my life or find myself in peril. Fear is not the enemy. You want to know what the enemy actually is? Unconfessed fear. That's the enemy. Let me say it again. Fear is not the enemy. You know what the enemy is? When you and I bury it down and we don't talk about it and we don't get real with the Lord and we don't get real with each other and we don't say the thing out loud that is bearing down on us. And I think there's a tendency to feel shame when we feel fear. If you feel fearful and the Lord wants to completely take this apart because uncontest and unattended to fear is where the breakdown begins because we what we start to do is we try to fix our lives or take over or we shut down in our fear uh, in our need so that no one can hurt us right and the problem is is that never works has anything ever worked by just shutting down we can push it off for a moment But has it ever worked to take our fears and just to shut down or sweep it under the rug? Has it ever actually fixed anything? The answer is no, it hasn't. Not where it doesn't work for relationships, it doesn't work for life. And when we do that, it's like we're unwilling to say, hey, mom and dad, there's a wasp's nest and I need help. I'm afraid. And I can't go back to the place of living life. Hear this. My daughter wanted to live life and have fun and get back to what she was made to be and to do. And she's afraid. So when God says, fear not, he's saying, I'm fully aware right now that you are in need. Say it. Say it. Tell me what's going on with you. Tell me, son or daughter, you don't have to look any longer for where your help will come from. When the Assyrian horde is bearing down on you, where do you run to? And he wants to say, you don't have to be afraid. Bring your fear to me because I am with you. And I'll take your fear, I'll take your anxiety, and I'll take your worry, and I'll take your doubts, and I will give you in exchange my presence. I will go with you. I will walk with you. Why fear not? For I am with you. Why is that important? Because sometimes in life, the Assyrians are coming, aren't they? Come on. 
every one of us have had moments where the Assyrians are coming and it looks in all kinds of different ways and shapes and forms, but we, if you end up living a real and full life, the Assyrians will be coming after you. And we have an opportunity to come to a God who just wants to say, you don't have to be afraid because I'm here and I'm with you. But you gotta believe. Hear that. You have to believe that I am with you and trust me. To which it actually pulls us to the a question, which is, do you have this kind of relationship with God? And I'm asking myself, hear this. Do you have a relationship with God where you can say, God, I'm afraid. Oh, God, I don't know. Or God, this is overwhelming. And you believe he's right there. And he's not going anywhere. And he's ready to lead you right through the valley. You have that with him. If you don't, there's no shame. There's only invitation to have that with him. It can't just be words on a page. At some point, the word of God, the promises of God have got to start rooting in so that the way that we live comes from a place of deep belief and trust because he has been faithful over and over and over and over. And you know how I know he's faithful? Because you're sitting in these seats right now. And he's crying out to you. If you're here in this room, the Holy Spirit, not Keith, not New River, not the worship team, not the Christmas tree, there ain't nothing else crying out to you right now. It's the Spirit of God has you. And he is saying, I am here with you and for you. Amen. So follow me and trust me. Trust me, Judah. Trust me, Israel. Trust me, Keith. Trust me, New River. I'm not leaving you alone. And I'll just be the first to confess, I, when I feel fear, I want to just go into problem-solving mode. I think uh, a lot of uh, men love to go into problem-solving, but the, candidly, women are just as bad. All right, we're just all bad. We want to go into problem-solving mode, right? When the thing's coming, how do I got to figure this out? What we have a tendency to do is when we're not operating from a place of faith and belief and trust that he's here and he never leaves and never forsakes, what we do is we got this attitude like, I got this. I got this. And just like newsflash, you don't got this. You don't. You don't. You don't got this. And that's a horrible grammar. Say, I don't got this. There, I just want to, I know some of you are sticklers for that and I just wanted to mess you up this morning. That's why God's saying, I'm here, because God can say, I got this. I've got this. I know what you're walking, there's not one thing you're walking through. Even the little internal things that sit back here that no one else knows about, hear this. God is fully aware. He's got it if you'll bring it to him. Trust him. You can keep self-fixing. You can keep trying to figure out how to do it on your own, but it's not going to go well for you. And so whatever needs to be addressed, whatever mountains you're facing, whatever issues are plaguing you, wherever you lose sleep, or wherever you feel anxiety like crawling over you, 
Resist the temptation to say, I got this, and open up your hands and say, oh God, you have this because you have me. You have this because you have me. And I'm gonna lean in you and trust. So he says, I fear not, I'm with you. I'm here. I see the jam you're in. I see the need you're in. I see that you don't have all the right answers. I see the pain in your marriage. I see the concern you have for your kids. I see the unknowns with your job or career. I see the confusion about your next steps or which school you should go to or which place you need to be or the fear that you have about being alone. I see all of it, every bit of it. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I'm your God. Now that's powerful. That's powerful. That's a life. That's a game changer. And the reason that's so powerful, by the way, is, and we've talked about several of the promises of God, but this is a unique one because a lot of the promises of God we've gotten into, it says, God will do this and God will do that. And here God is saying, I will do this. And I just love this particular wrinkle with this particular promise because it's not just a promise about God. It's coming off his lips to you. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you. And there's so many amazing promises. You can think about Romans chapter eight. In fact, we'll go there in just a moment, but Romans eight where it says, God is gonna always work for your good. Everyone that's called according to his purposes says he will do that. And I love that. But it's a whole nother thing when says, God says, I will do this. I'm doing this for you. It's an ironclad promise, guarantee. So we get to lean into these text here. He says, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to strengthen. I'm going to help. I'm going to uphold. Why do we ask for strength? Because strength is the ask of our lives, of our hearts. When we are weak and inadequate, you ever been there before? You don't have to raise your hand. It's 100% of the room, weak and inadequate. You know why God says, I will, I will give you strength? It's because he knows you and I are going to have moments where we are weak and inadequate. So I'll give you strength. And why do we ask for help? Because help is what we ask for when we realize we are in need. We have need. We are human. We need you, God, and we need this. And when do we ask to be upheld? Upholding is what we ask for when we feel threatened, when we feel opposed, or when we feel beat down. You ever been there? You ever been in that place? Of course you have. And why? Because you're human. And God says, I will uphold you when you are beat down and when life has pushed you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The place of authority and power. Those are all real experiences, by the way. Everything that God just said from his own mouth is something that you and I have experienced each and every year of our lives. 
And so we get to come back to the scripture and we say, okay, all right, well, how do I know that these are for me? And how do I know that in those places of pain, because by the way, it's not just theological where it sits in the clouds. It's like here, right here and right now with the things that you're very worried about or the things that are in front of you that you're not sure of. How do I know God's going to come through on these things? And we get to go back to places like Romans 8. I just mentioned it a minute ago. One of the great rich promises, full of encouragement. In fact, you could go back and Romans 8 is one of those like promise chapters. You could just go back and let it wash over you again and again. But there's something in Romans 8 that is so profound, so utterly full in its meaning and how it plays itself out in our life. Because the, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church and he just steps back and the Holy Spirit would say this, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to all these things, these promises, these truths of God? If God is actually for us, who can actually be against us? Who can? What circumstance has more power? What Assyrian horde stands over the might of the God of the universe? God's not looking at Assyria worried. He's saying, I want you to trust me in it. I'm not promising you that Assyria won't come. I'm promising you that when it does come, I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. God is for us, who can be against us? Now here's, the, here's where God locks it down. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, then how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What God's saying is this, my promises are so ironclad that you can believe in and look to and rest on and trust in and live your life out of. You can do that because I sent my son to pay the price to lock it down as a guarantee. This is what you will have in me. I'm taking you all the way to the end. If God was willing to send his own son, wouldn't spare his own son, then what is in the heart of God to do for you? Now, Jesus was sent to this earth for the glory and his namesake. But hear this. It was so that you and I would know the radical extent of the love of God for us from eternity past. And that's the promise of God. It's what I love, uh, John Piper calls it, the unshakable logic of heaven. If God was willing to do this in his son, then he's serious about these promises for you. He's serious about it. Meaning, when I say serious, it didn't just mean it's out there for you. He's saying, step into it. Take it. 
Live from it. Believe it. Let it come into your heart. Let it come into your mind. Let it fill your soul. Let it stir you. Let it uh, infiltrate your home and your marriage and how you lead your children and what you do in the workplace and how you interact with your neighbor and what you think about our city and all of these things. Let these promises fill you up and move you into fullness of life because if he would not even spare his own son, how will he not also graciously give us all things? It's a matter of believing. It's faith. It's stepping in. It's in the dark place where you're going like, I don't feel anything, God, and I don't see you anywhere. And it feels like everything's upside down. And for clarity, God, it feels like the Assyrian horde is having its heyday in my life. And so we turn our heart and what, uh, Jesus says when he tells the story, he's the one who's broken and he looks to heaven and beats his chest and says, have mercy on me. And you know what Jesus says? I tell you what, that act of faith there in a place of brokenness, that is the faith I'm looking for. Trust me. That's what I'm looking for. Every person in this room, pastor included, that kind of humility, that kind of brokenness, that kind of need. I need you, I need you, I need you. You can't make a better prayer. God, we need you. You're our everything. We're putting this whole thing on you. And so it's time to name our fears. It's time to just get it out there. The ones that you want to push under the rug or maybe even the ones that feel like they're far off, but it sits in your heart and mind. It's just time to confess. By the way, confess... I think the word got a bad rap. Confess just means, God, I just want to, whatever you say is true, I want to agree with that. That's all it is. If there's something broken, I just want to agree. If I've got sin, when I confess, I just want, I agree, God, it's, there's a brokenness in me. I can't fix it. I've tried a thousand times. I feel like I'm struggling with the same thing over and over. Paul would say the same thing. The thing that I don't want to do, I do. The thing that I do, I want to do, I can't do. Who will save me from this wretched place? Says, well, thanks be to God in Christ. I have it all. I have it all. Meaning I can right now make a fresh exchange again. Get his righteousness. Get his mercy. Get his goodness. Let it wash over me again. Stand up in faith and believe and trust. And say, God, I'm going to take a step out here by faith. I don't know what the next steps are. I don't know what the right next step is, but I'm just going to keep trusting you with my life, full-hearted, and see what God will do. See what God will do. And on the days where it feels like nothing's happening, this is why this thing exists. So we can just grab arms and say, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you, sister. Let's keep on trusting. You guys stand with me. We're just going to take these last just few minutes to do business with the Lord. I want to encourage you to put all the things down. And I'm so grateful for the person sitting right next to you. But this moment is just for the King of kings and Lord of lords and for no one else. I'd do the pastoral thing where I'm going to have you ask you to raise your hand and 
you're dealing with some things, but the truth is this, I already know you are. I need your hand in the air. This is a moment for you and the Lord just to say, hey, Lord, here's what's sitting on my heart. Here are the fears that I have. Here are the anxieties. Here are the hurts and the disappointments and the worries. And I'm gonna offer it to you. I just wanna give you 30 seconds to be real and authentic with the God of the universe who already knows. He already knows. Would you confess and say, I just agree, Lord. I need you. I need you. say, I've given it to him a hundred times. Step in 101 and give it to him again. Lay it down. Now, let's receive. Fear not, son or daughter. I'm with you. Now believe it. Receive the Spirit of God right now. He's here. I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. Now here it comes. I will give you strength. Would you just ask him for strength where you need it? Or you feel weary? You feel exhausted. You feel inadequate. Right now, ask him, I will give you strength. And I will help you. Would you tell him where your need is right now? Could be physical, could be emotional, spiritual. What's your need? with you that goes far beyond reading words on a page or singing songs on a Sunday, but goes where we know that you walk with us each and every moment. 
And as you're here now, you'll be there Monday morning. So Lord, wake in our heart to keep asking for you and trusting you and believing in your promises. And that's our heart cry.